You're listening to episode 35, Voice Dysphoria and the Inner Critic. When a friend invites you over for a cup of coffee, you know that you're about to have a meaningful conversation. Hola, I'm Melissa B. Cartwright, voice and performance coach and Latin creative with over 20 years of professional singing experience and encouraging others to do the same. I believe that both mental and vocal preparation is key to creating confident performing artists. You'll hear stories and advice from me and my guests that will make you think, it'll make you laugh, but most importantly, it will make you walk away saying, phew, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, y bienvenido to Cafecito with the Coach. Hola, my lovely performing artists. Thank you so much for joining me for this cafecito. If you are here in the United States with me, I hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving. I know I sure did with my family. Now that I have a teenager and a preteen, they can throw down in the kitchen with me. And so we had some main mashed potatoes and mac and cheese, and it was so yummy. So we have officially kicked off the holiday season for sure in our house. And something I was eager to hop back on here and talk to you about is this notion of artistic identity. I referenced this in my previous podcast episode that you can check out in the show notes. But basically, if we get so wrapped up that our voices are us, like my voice is me, I am my voice, then anything my voice does, especially when it sounds the way that I don't want it to, can affect my self-esteem. And I start getting into this tangled web of, you know, uh, questioning my self-worth even. It gets pretty ugly. And this conversation we're going to have or that you're about to tune into is actually a replay of an Instagram live that I did last December. And it was so good and so timely that I knew I wanted to basically share it with you. My friends, Dr. Elisa Monti and Stephanie Bianchi of Monti Bianchi performance wellness. Let me brag a little bit on these two amazing women. Dr. Elisa Monti is a psychologist and certified performance wellness therapist. Stephanie Bianchi is a board certified music therapist, music director, voiceover actor. Both of these ladies are artists themselves. So you're not just getting like valuable knowledge. They are in it with you. They totally understand the way that you feel. They have struggled with this themselves. And I think the reason, another reason I'm such a huge fan is because there is a level of compassion in their work. And so they're going to help us untangle or at least understand a bit better. Where does all of this come from? Where does the inner critic come from? How does voice dysphoria actually play into this, which is a very real issue that a lot of people downplay. But if anything, I know that you will walk away not just more enlightened, but definitely more hopeful that there are resources, there are answers. You don't have to stay stuck in feeling basically like awful about the way that you sound, whether it's the way that you speak or the way that you sing. There is hope for you, my friend. And you're going to hear some beautiful stories from our conversation about this very thing. Before we dive into the conversation, I want to remind you that doors are officially open for the winter session of my Reclaim the Stage 
workshop. This is a stage presence workshop for adult performers who are tired of getting up there. All they're worried about is how they sound, but they never think about the way they actually look on stage. And you're going back and you're watching performance videos of yourself and cringing so hard. We want to help you with that and give you a game plan so that you know exactly what to do every time you get up there. The fun starts January the 8th. All of that information is in the show notes. Enjoy this conversation with my friends from Monty Bianchi. Stephanie, again, thank you for joining us. I want to jump right in because um, I was speaking with you ladies and saying, yeah, this is something that's that's come up a lot lately. Mm -hmm. And I know for fellow teachers, our hearts are just like, aching because, you know, we're, we're navigating, you know, these thought patterns with our respective clients and students and singers. Mm-hmm. And our, our training allows us to hear functionally what's going on. And when all those pieces are in place, mm-hmm. functionally, everything's fine. They don't feel any tension, you know, just from a, like a vocal pedagogical, you know, mm-hmm. standpoint, but for whatever reason, they just, they can't go there and embrace and sing with joy and sing with freedom. And so sometimes we're thinking what else is going on, you know? And so that's why I wanted to share, open up the discussion with you and with Alisa as well. But first off, while we wait for her, please introduce yourself. Tell us more about your uh, creative artistic background and about the amazing work that um, you and Alisa do with Monte Bianchi. Okay, so, well, Aliza and I met uh, several years ago at um, uh, the performance wellness training seminar where we we really connected because we had a lot of similar experiences. We had a lot of similar um, ideas of what we wanted to do with this work. So I come from, I'm a music therapist, and I've been a music therapist for about 19 years. And how I got into music therapy is I was a performer. I was classically trained pianist and a singer songwriter. And I had a lot of uh, performance trauma from my past and burning out and deciding I, I couldn't do it. And then I found music therapy as a way to use my skills and my talent and my passion to then, I mean, let's be honest, I was getting in it to help myself first <laughs> and then working through all of these things. Um, then I realized, Oh, I love doing this. And I love people, especially with traumatic past or performance trauma. Um, then learning how, how to work through all of this stuff in their art mm. to then be a more embodied performer or artist or whatever it is. So, so Aliza and I met um, at, at the training several years ago. And Aliza, do you want to give, uh, your background? Sure. I'm, I'm a psychologist and I'm also a singer. Uh, before doing the Montello Method training, I trained with Dr. Diane Austin in vocal psychotherapy. And then after that, um, yeah, the performance wellness training sounded like it was a perfect match for me because I was loving, I was just loving everything that it was about and, you know, coming at it, not just as a singer, but with the idea that so many aspects of our lives are a performance, whether that's professional or personal or, you know, so much of it does feel like there's a spotlight on us and how to navigate that spotlight, you know, being true to ourselves and remaining authentic. Mm -hmm. That really resonated with me a lot. And it's why I am, I fangirl <laughs> with everything about your work and what you do. It's like, I, 
I probably have almost every single post of yours saved, you know, and I am such a fan of the integration that you are open about and that so many of us like Stephanie, I'm sure, you know, if you want to share more about your own personal experiences with mm -hmm. that, depending on the kind of training we received that we, we had to just compartmentalize yes. everything. And then, you know, and, and, you know, I experienced it here and even in those first few lessons or moments of introduction where I, I just want to sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to mm -hmm. sing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but I want you to think about why you're feeling what you're feeling and why you're thinking what you're thinking, you know? And what would happen if we just asked this one question about why we're feeling this way? What, you know, and then making that connection, obviously, uh, between what's going on here and how it affects this. So Stephanie, I'm curious if you're willing to share a little bit more. I think there's so much power in, in our storytelling. Um, if you want to share more about what those experiences were for you, right. because I am positive that somebody listening to this is going to resonate. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, having all of the symptoms, let's just call it symptoms of anxiety, performance anxiety, sure. when I was younger and kind of being told, well, just, just don't think about it or think about something else or, or you shouldn't be like, there's nothing to be scared of. It's just an audience of your peers, you know, don't be scared. Like rather than actually going along with what's happening in the body. And I love how you just framed that. I, everything that you just said, you framed in such this curious tone. It's, this is what we want, is we want to be curious about it. We don't want to be judgmental about it. Like, you, you shouldn't be nervous. You shouldn't be this. Let's just be curious about it and see what it brings up. And so, like, I think about a lot of, a lot of the things, and, and our, Aliza and my approach now is, first of all, number one, curiosity. I love it. There's no judgment. There's no, let's just see what's there. And so I love how you just said, like, I wonder if we just ask this question mm -hmm. here, like just ask, right. Like just, let's just kind of open up to it. And so the first thing thinking about my own performance trauma, I have so many moments in my life where it was like, this is a really important, either like uh, the concerto competition or a big show that I'm playing and everybody's watching you. And, and thinking about the things that would happen to my body. Like I have this one, really um uh uh memory burned in my brain where my my foot started shaking on the pedal and I couldn't use the pedal effectively and my whole leg was shaking and I was so embarrassed mm -hmm. and I think about that now and I've processed that in years of therapy now mm -hmm. and and what I've done to process it is to allow the shaking to happen and to allow the shaking to express itself to its, its full expression. What did it need to do? And really what that was, was my fight or flight response signaling to my body, danger, danger. There's, there's a threat here, whatever the threat is. Don't tell yourself the threat shouldn't be there. Let's just look at, yes, there is a threat. Mm -hmm. What are you scared of? Scared of the judgment from the crowd, scared of the whatever it is, and allow the shaking of the leg to speak, allow it to process through. Um, and so that's how I was able to kind of process my own trauma is to go back to those moments, what was happening in my body, go back to that kind of somatic experience in the mm -hmm. body, and then let it fully express itself. What's the full expression of that? So I think I remember actually when I was processing in, in a, a session with my therapist, I was just sitting there shaking. My leg was just shaking for like 45 minutes. You know? <laughs> and I'm letting my leg talk. 
about you know all of all of the judgment that can come from my peers and then all of the terrible things that can happen and this is just the leg trying to express the fear in the body so yeah that's sorry i've gotten totally off on this tangent but but this is the the approach that we love using is rather than compartmentalizing shutting down i shouldn't be nervous i shouldn't be feeling this let's go with what's presenting itself and let's kind of open up a dialogue with it. Let's mm -hmm. befriend it. Let's mm -hmm. ask questions. Let's, you know, even if you're not ready to befriend your inner critic, let's just ask questions then. Let's just get curious. That's that's kind of the, the, the nutshell approach. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And it's scary to let it be. Like, it's scary to think of the anxiety, the fear, whatever you want to call it. Um, to welcome it as though it's a companion, you know, when we're trying so hard to like, you know, it, it, it's, it's like a monster for many of us. Right. And yeah. so, um, yeah, that's, that's tough. Mm -hmm. That's tough. Thank you for sharing that experience, by the way. Um, it's something that I know I'm navigating with my singers too, to, to not, um, when they have a physical reaction to the anxiety, the fear, the whatever, to not suppress, yeah. right? But yes. to allow it, right. you know, right. to do what it needs to do. So welcome shaky leg. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, I mean, what's the first step, you know, somebody says, no matter, no, no matter how much, you know, accolades they've received, encouragement they've received, um, they, this, they may be a professional artist who, you know, has a big following and they're still, they just cannot go to a place of joy and yes, I did it. Um, what, what would be your first question, you know, as we, as we remain in this, um, the, the curiosity neighborhood, like what are those first steps as you navigate someone back to a place of rediscovery mm -hmm. and welcoming the curiosity? Mm -hmm. Aliza, do you want to take Sure. <laughs> I think, yeah, because we're talking so much about staying present, you know, mm -hmm. the first thing is like really thinking about the deeper layers of what's happening. For example, someone might, as you said, like be very successful, you know, being on the stage of, the Met or La Scala or whatever it might be mm -hmm. or Broadway, there's so much stuff happening and there's a lot of success going on, but the fear and the feeling maybe not good enough is still very dominant. So sometimes this idea of everything is presenting as if things mm -hmm. are going well, but it, in deeper layers of my nervous system, it doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. Generally, the first thing that we try to do with our clients is think about where mm -hmm. is that coming from? Like where, what is the earliest you remember feeling this way? And it could be like, you know, I was singing for my parents and it seemed like everything was going all right. And then right at the end, they started laughing or they started mocking me or they started, you know, and then that what was registered was that that positive response cannot be trusted. There's fear, there's danger, there's shame. Mm -hmm. And sometimes things that are stored so early in the nervous system you know, remain in those deeper layers of the nervous system, even with some positive reinforcement or different experiences, because whatever is rationalized up here also needs to be translated down here. And that's why somatic practices are so important yeah. to sort of reframe, restructure everything that's going on. Stephanie, what would you like to add to that? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, as you're saying, it's, it's really important to 
to ask the questions again. So what, what are you scared would happen if we did open up to this part or to this possibility or, you know, because there is, like Elisa just said, there's going to be a deeper layer to what's informing that the fear of, um, you know, like we work a lot with, uh, people with, who have eating disorders and something that comes up a lot is, well, I don't, it's not safe for me to love my body because mm -hmm. if I love my body, then I won't be prepared for all of the, um, uh, all of the negative remarks I might get about. So it's like, I need to prepare myself first. I need to shut myself down first before I get it from the outside. And that's just a self-protective mechanism. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be mean to myself first. So, right. Um, and then the other thing that comes up is, well, if I, if I am nice to my body and then I let myself eat whatever I want to eat, um, then I'm going to never stop eating and I'm going to blow up to be 3000 pounds and then, and okay, but that's then you're, you're still putting limits on your body. We're not, then, then we're not actually talking about self-love and self mm -hmm. We're talking about self-love with limits, right? So you can only, so it, it's whatever's informing that fear of, no, I don't want to let that in. I don't want to think about that thought or that feeling. There, there's something deeper there that's, that's important to get to. And like Elisa said, it's, it's in the fabric of our cells and our muscles and our, I mean, it's really physically in our bodies. So just doing the work up here is not going to be enough. We need to bring it into the body. Yeah. So powerful because then I get the, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I don't like it. I just, I just yeah. shut, shut, yeah. shut door after door after door, you know, and yeah. that's obviously where there's a lot of patience, you know, where you never want to force, you know, someone into something they're Absolutely. not ready for, but Absolutely. you know, um, everything you said about self-protection, Ooh, there's just so many narratives I'm thinking through for the singer, you know, um, if I, I know in my personal experience and for a lot of the singers I work with, whether this is attached to um, like a, a, a faith-based background or whatever singing culture they grew up in where confidence can be equated with pride. Yes. If you talk too much about yourself and about how much you love yourself and you're singing, it comes across as conceit, right? Or, you know, there's, I know that is a narrative that I've been, I, I've had to process for myself personally, as well as with my own singers, you know, about just celebrating you deserve to be celebrated yeah. right you you deserve um you deserve the joy of, of singing so thank you for walking us through this you're talking so much about somatic experiences so um if you can provide us an example of what that may look like so for instance for the singer who is resistant with even opening up in the first place but is willing to at least answer some questions as to the why and get closer to curiosity what is what's the next step to help to help them move through this let's say let's say for them you know it comes in the form of a clenched jaw and extreme forms of jaw tension to the point that sometimes 
even opening up for an SOVT exercise mm -hmm. still presents itself as shaking or a very, very um, strange sound. What would that look like for, for you as you're um, helping a singer through this? I think that one of the things that we would start with is definitely like bring the consciousness into the tension of the jaw mm -hmm. and think about, you know, what does that feel like and maybe even start free associating the somatic sensations in the jaw mm -hmm. could be like well it feels very tight it feels kind of cold it feels like you know my teeth need to be clenched for my life and mm -hmm. then the person might start thinking oh, okay i think this somehow makes me feel safe mm -hmm. or this somehow makes me feel protected mm -hmm. what happens mm -hmm. if you like go oh no i can't this this keeps me safe so then how to like slowly go about navigating the resistance without trying to take it away right but also acknowledging what's happening and exploring you know is this, this really what keeps you safe mm -hmm. and that, mm -hmm. think about why you need to be mm -hmm. safe mm -hmm. you know that's the first thoughts that are coming to me yeah yeah, yeah. and then from there um again in this kind of really exploratory fashion okay, let's really discover the properties of this tightness. Like, think about, okay, you feel it. Does it feel dull or sharp? Does it feel, mm -hmm. is, is it a stagnant, stuck, tight energy? Or is there movement in there? Is, again, like Elisa said, temperature. Is it cold or hot? Just kind of noticing, because if, if, if somebody's going to have um, difficulty getting into like the emotional part of it or the or even just dialoguing with it just noticing physically yeah. what's what is happening physically right now and then maybe kind of with the leg what would the full expression of this be so does it have a sound like is there like a you know, or, or is what's, if this was to fully express itself, this tight jaw, what would it be doing? How would it sound? What would it look like? You know, and, and kind of make, following that road to see if that leads anywhere. A lot of this, it's hard to, it's hard to say, you know, what we would do because it really depends on what presents itself in each moment. It's like a choose your own adventure kind of, you know, yeah, go yeah. to here and then what happens here, then turn to page 80. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like whatever presents itself in the moment, then that's the route that we go. Um, always listening to the body. And, and again, bringing it back to what's obvious, what's a physical obvious sensation that's mm -hmm. there if it's too hard, you know, like what is it expressing? I don't know. Okay, well, what does it feel like? It feels like, oh. all right, let's start there. I love it. Yeah. Love it. And then, and then, you know, yeah, this definitely is not a, like a one size fits all, but just that willingness to open yourself up to just answering the questions, right? And I think, I, I think curiosity is key here. I think for sure we've established to help us navigate this. And so I, I'd love to hear if you're at liberty to share maybe a success story that you can think of, whether it was with a performing artist or a singer in particular that was able to cross this divide, right? Like, and really start connecting with with um, their own embodiment and, and 
and actually uh, get to a place where they felt they had success um, navigating some of these challenges? I think something we have seen quite a bit is this idea of, you know, the relationship with the creative self, with the singer self, with all those parts that really matter to the person mm -hmm. and trying to rediscover what was that relationship like before all the internalizations came in, before the teacher told you that you sound quacky, you yeah. know, or before you heard your parents laughing, I'm just making stuff up sure. or sure. before, you know, the classmate made a comment or you were in a choir and you were told to mouth the words because your voice didn't blend with the voices mm -hmm. of the others you know mm -hmm. that first love for the voice or the first love for dance what was that like and trying to go back you know to that original feeling as we also process all of the associations and the traumas the clinical voices mm -hmm. um to use that as a starting point like as if it's a seed mm -hmm. to then try and regrow mm -hmm. that first love if that makes sense yeah. yes yeah and we do um we have a client uh, a particular client who is a touring uh musician singer in a band and um he had started ha having panic attacks and well, when he first came to us, he, he said, well, I've got them under control. I know how to control them when I'm on stage. Like, I can deal with them. But my voice, like, I don't have the support that I need in my voice, mm -hmm. and I don't have. Mm -hmm. And so, so he came to us with the intention originally of, I need to learn how to control the panic attacks so I can get my voice back. <laughs> because I'm like, I've learned how to control it in the rest of my body. Now I just teach me how to control it in my voice so I can like, and, and really, um, it, it came down to, again, befriending the panic. And it was, it was a process. I mean, I, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have, it, it, it's really a process of self-awareness. It's peeling back the onion. It's, you know, you keep getting to different layers, but where we eventually got, um, with him to, with him is when he got on the stage working through all of the panic it was basically all of the old messaging from when he was younger about um how his voice sounded and how it wasn't strong enough mm -hmm. and um and he has a little bit of a higher voice um for a male than than he's comfortable with he w wishes it was a little bit lower so it, and he wasn't even aware that any of this was just unconsciously coming up when he was on stage. So working with all of that, working with all of those old messaging, going back and kind of like reparenting in those experiences, mm -hmm. doing some wild things, going back and hugging that child who was with the voice teacher saying, you know, it's not strong enough and saying it is strong enough, doing some of yeah. that work. Mm -hmm. And that's where it came to was this really beautiful place where, um, the kind of like the, the last thing we had to work through for him to be able to be fully embodied in his voice was this idea that he was going on stage to perform for. So I'm, I'm doing all this and I'm, and I'm just doing it for the audience and here I am. And, and like, there's this separation here. And what we worked with um, him on is getting this kind of 
this feedback loop of like this mutual love and respect for the audience, for him. And rather than I'm doing this for them is I'm sharing this with them. We're all in the room and we're sharing this experience together. And that was the thing really at the end then that transformed into this doesn't have to be perfect. Actually, sometimes it's better if it's not. Because if I'm really connecting on a human level and I'm just being here in the moment with this, then I'm, I'm being with rather than doing for. Does that make sense? That was, that was the turning point. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm like cheesing because this is so aligned yeah. with, <laughs> with how I believe we go about yes. this, and have yes. this and have these, I think too, because I'm, I'm like, because I've been experiencing this for myself, even personally, you know, rediscovering that for myself and my own performance aspect. So I'm just like, yes, I love this. You know, that uh, it, it is a, a joint experience. Um, oh, that yeah. is so wonderful. I, I, I hope people just yeah. hear that. Like they can breathe a sigh of relief, you know, that that is there for them as well. well. Can yeah. I offer something for your yes. students and everything. Yeah. One thing that a turning point for him too and we just actually offered this at a, a seminar we gave uh, the other night a couple weeks ago and it and it it resonated also is you know if you think about all of your favorite performers or all of your favorite musicians or whatever it is and you think about seeing them live <clears throat> or and is it their perfection of the performance that you're connecting to or is it their connection to you like what they're saying and how they're saying it and their emotion and their embodiment in it that's what that's what's speaking to you not the perfection of the performance so if you can recognize that in your favorite performers and this is something we did with our client as well is go go to the your favorite performers go see them live or or see you know, tapes of them playing, mm -hmm. I totally did in myself tapes, um, <laughs> videos of them performing. And what is it about this performance that you're connected to? Is it the perfection of it? Or is it the emotion that's in there and the connection? And so if you can focus on that with your favorite performers, then mm -hmm. adopt that yourself. I love mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Amen, sis. Amen. For sure. For sure. <laughs> now, I just wanted to, you know, briefly touch on, um, you know, the, somebody may be listening to this and I mean, I'll go back and be taking notes myself. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much, ladies. You've been so generous Thank with you. lots of information. Um, but somebody may really be navigating the waters of, am I battling some sort of clinical dysphoria like can you just give us like I mean I know that this is such a deep dive but really just a brief outlook on if somebody is actually thinking that or maybe working on that with their own you know mental health professional what is that something to seriously consider when let's say we're really ha getting stuck and even all of this beautiful work, somatic work, emotional, you know, uh, revisiting the inner child, inner critic, and, and identifying those voices, but we're still hitting a wall. Well, I, I'm really curious what your thoughts are as professionals um, in the mental health field, 
with this particular topic of voice dysphoria. Thank you so much for bringing that up because it's something that's being talked about so much lately. I think it's important to mention that also Welch and Halu just published a wonderful paper on communicative dysphoria and communicative congruence in JSLHR came out a few months back. Um, and it's something that we do see a lot, you know, this idea of, you know, the congruence is how much your voice or your communication aligns with your identity. Mm -hmm. And then the dysphoria mm -hmm. is when that alignment is disrupted. I think when it comes to singers, especially, there can be so many levels of that that we see. Like, is it just, is it like about the sound of the voice or is it about the style? Is it about how much you feel your identity aligns with what you're being told you should be singing. And then one wonders like, you know, how much of the dysphoria is yours and how much is, has it been fed by the industry right? or by teachers? Um, we have seen so many levels of this. And Stephanie, of course, then I want to pass the ball to you. But I would say that in some ways, the approach that we have been taking is very similar to the dialoguing. Like, if something comes up with this misalignment, my voice and my identity, dialoguing with the voice, you know, figuring out why this, you know, mismatch exists, you know, and what is it about the voice and what, what have you internalized? Ideas internalized about your voice and your identity and maybe someone told you how they should align and that's completely false. So a lot of... I would say dismantling and being present and then really following through the, the way of identity, rediscovering voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what more I have to add to that other than obviously, you know, physically making sure everything is okay. Right. Sure. And, and we always encourage that. If you feel like something is really wrong or something, okay, physically have everything checked out, mm -hmm. make sure nothing. Um, and then it's tough because there are so many levels, like Elisa just said, there's so many levels and this, this is like a spectrum. <laughs> um, ev from everything from like, oh, I heard my voice on that recording. That's not how I, that's not how I sound to myself in my head. And so the difference, because actually we do sound different, our heads with the way that the sound did through the bone conduction and the, 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 you know, versus hearing our voices like, ew. And a lot of us have that reaction, ew. Okay, <laughs> I'm a voiceover actor. I've done voiceovers professionally for 20 years and I still get that, ew. Every time I hear my voice, okay. So like there's, there's certain levels of, and, and I think that, that little, ooh, like, I'm, I mean, I, I can feel it in my body, right? It's, it's that disconnect between what I think I sound like and what I do sound like to me, which is kind of my authentic voice in my head versus, mm -hmm. oh, that's what the world is hearing. That's not what I'm hearing me sound like. And so I think for some people, just that alone can be enough to set off this, this feeling of like either, you know, I mean, like dissociation mm -hmm. to some degree, like, ooh, wait, who, who am I? What, what am I even? So it, it can really trigger a lot of that. Um, 
And then everything down to like, of, of course, working um, with anybody in the trans community, there's yeah. a different level of that, right? Mm -hmm. And physically, you know, what's sounding, what's... So, um, yeah, like Aliza said, I think it, it really comes down to getting to know the voice. What am I hearing in here? What is this like? This is my authentic voice. Okay, this is the way it's resonating in my body. And then this is the way it comes out to the world. And then just kind of experimenting. Because I know a lot of us sound like a little more nasal is, is mm -hmm. in the outside world than we do in, in our own bodies. Um, so then kind of coming to terms with that, like, oh, this is the voice, how it sounds on the outside and, um, and, and getting to know that voice and getting almost like an exposure therapy, honestly, <laughs> getting, getting, hearing that voice more, um, and, and then kind of bringing the two together. Like, this is my inside voice and this is how it sounds on the outside. And, mm -hmm. and it's all me. It's all me. It's just, if you're in a padded room your voice is going to sound different than if you're in this big reflective hall, right? Mm -hmm. Same kind of thing. Like, this is the way my voice sounds here. Here's how it sounds here. And just kind of getting to know that a little better. Yeah. You just gave us so many practical nuggets of wisdom there that hopefully, like, uh, when we talk about the varying degrees of this, like you said, that hopefully enough like the science itself can bring comfort, <laughs> like you said, you know, to, but the one key thing you said, it's all me. It's all me. And I think, you know, as, as we navigate everything that we were just saying that you all have been sharing about dissociation, bringing it back together, acknowledging all the components of what we feel, both emotionally, mentally, and physically to know that it, it really truly is all a part of ourselves. And as I framed this before with my singers, the voice is a living instrument. You know, it is the only one. <laughs> it can be altered with just a thought, obviously, which is what we're talking about here, you know. So um, thank you so much for really giving us, uh, breaking it down for us, you know, and, and in our own specific journeys. And of course, you know, I, I am not a licensed therapist, so this is a, a situation where it would be good to refer on, you know, to, to somebody who can really help um, a singer who's really, um, battling with this, you know, to, to get them to a point where they really truly can cross that divide and embrace all of themselves and embrace the sound of their voice. And I know that you ladies offer so many resources, including a newest, the newest one, right? Is the heart studio, like the new baby. Can you want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> the new baby. We're like, well, we, <laughs> you can't, you know, work on your art unless you work on your heart. And that's what I love that's the idea of the heart studio membership. <laughs> let's just lean into the cheese, you know? I mean, <laughs> yes, let's lean into the cheese. <laughs> yeah, we were like, what kind of brings it home for us with one word? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, when we created our modules, you know, one of one of the thoughts that we got from people is like these modules are great but sometimes i kind of want to feel like someone is holding me and walking me through things but also when i kind of choose the level at which i work you know the pace and so that's how we created this membership we're like okay as people work through their artist stuff if they want access to like you know office hours q and a's 
group workshops, you know, like things that help them feel like as they're walking through this journey, they have someone accompanying them, but in a way that, you know, they can decide the time involvement, they can decide the costs and all that kind of stuff. Stephanie, what would you like to add? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really was, we're all about um, accessibility. Like we want to make these tools and these experiences more accessible for people. So that's, we created Heart Studio and it kind of um, that, an effort to, to make things a little more flexible and accessible. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Misha. Yeah, I know. Aww. I was going to say, I agree. Amen to that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again, ladies. Anything else you want to add or wrap up to this amazing conversation that really we could have for such a long yeah. time? Aww. I feel like we need a part two, but um, yeah, just anything else you want to add or anything else that we can tell us all the places we can find you and find these resources. Well, thank you. Go ahead. But I would like to thank you first for um, for your approach and for doing everything that you're doing, because Aliza and I can both speak to this, you know, having teachers and instructors and coaches in the past that were just so bad for our mental health. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I we just oh love this because not everybody is like you really honestly exactly and so thank you for the work you're doing really because it, it makes all the difference and and that perspective that you bring to it that you bring to your clients and students and it's it's that's everything it really is is everything so thank you for that thank you Melissa yeah. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. You know, like you bring so much into your practice. You understand so much. You see so much. And so many teachers don't because we've dealt with them. Mm -hmm. Just just blind, you know. Yeah. Place your sound here and good luck, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. You. That means the world. I think you have just filled up my cup for the entire week. So I really appreciate you. <laughs> Give us your website, your handles, again, all the places so that we make sure we send artists to the right place to connect with you. Thank you. Well, montibianchi.com is our website. And our Instagram, I think, is Monty underscore Bianchi underscore PW. It's funny, like you see it every day and then you're like, is that what it is? <laughs> And TikTok is also Monty Bianchi PW without the underscores. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Aliza and Stephanie. Happy holidays. And I'm sure that we will be connecting again soon. Thank you Thanks again. So much. Thank you for everything. Bye. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye. If you want more information about how MVC Performance can ignite your passion for singing and songwriting and getting on stage, visit mvcperformance.com. Hasta la próxima.